Hi, guys. I'm Emily, as forementioned. Um, hi. 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 Um, so, yeah, I need my notes. <laughs> Hello. Just, let's just go around the room. Everybody say hi to me while I get this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm um, uh, so, yeah, I'm Emily, and um, uh, I am an artist. I am a professor as well. I'm an arts professor. Um, super fun. I love it. Uh, I am married to Nick Mayo right over here. We've been married for, yeah, almost eight years. In June, it will be eight whole years. And then in uh, five-ish weeks, uh, we're going to have a little baby boy. So, yeah. It's going to be really fun. Let's say five-ish because he decides when he wants to come. But, um... Yeah, so uh, Nick and I, we've been here at Access for a little bit. Uh, we've been here for uh, over 10 years now. I don't want to know how old you were 10 years ago. Um, but in that time, we've you know, had the fortunate uh, experience of seeing a lot of groups of people come through Access. Uh, it is the nature of a college-age ministry. And uh, I think I can confidently say that Access right now is stronger than it's ever been. It's always been a family. We've always been a family. No matter who's come and who goes, we've always been a family. But I just feel that right now, uh, the group that's here, you guys are hungrier for the word and for truth and for what God has for you. And I'm just really excited to be sharing with you guys tonight. So I am starting off our Sex and Sexuality series. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, Real Talk, Sex and God. No, they did not just find the pregnant woman to talk about sex. Um, I'm not here to share that part. Um, but no, this is something I'm very passionate about, and I've been passionate about for quite some time because it's very intrinsically related to my uh, testimony. Um, so I have a testimony around sexual sin uh, that sent me down a vicious cycle of shame-oriented decisions. And I'm going to share that story with you tonight. And how God uh, met me in my pit. He broke off the shame of my sexual sin over my life and bent me back towards himself and reminded me of my pure identity in him, allowing me to walk in freedom and away from sexual sin once and for all. So yeah, I'm going to share that with you tonight. Um, and testimony, the word testimony actually means to do it again. I knew that was going to happen. Sorry. I'm just going to leave it here, and hopefully I don't have to stand up. <laughs> if I stand up, it's just going to... Um, so testimony, the word means actually to do it again. Uh, so what we mean by that is, and there's the verse, you know, the testimonies of Jesus are the spirit of prophecy. So what that means is if at any point in time I'm saying something and Holy Spirit is uh, nagging on you or you feel something inside of you, that is Holy Spirit telling you uh, to grab hold of that, to grab hold of that. So while I'm going to tell uh, my story about sex my, my sexual history, um, or parts of it, not the whole thing, don't worry, um, an abridged version, uh, I'm going to be talking about it through the lens of the effects of shame, specifically, on our identity. Um, the effects of shame on our identity and Jesus' work to bend us back towards him. Um, so, yeah. So I just want to open up with prayer. Um, Lord, I just thank you for this time. 
I thank you for each person here. I thank you for being here, Lord. We dedicate this time to you. Speak through me, Lord. As I share our testimony, I just ask that you help me to do it justice. Thank you for creating us in your image and for choosing to be with us and reminding us of who we really are and our pure identity in you. All right, amen. Um, oh, that's why. Got it, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, if I'm talking about it through the lens of shame, why don't we start with where shame entered into the world? Um, so, as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a teacher, uh, so if this feels like a little bit of a class, sorry, if you just came from college, it's gonna be fine, you're fine can handle another 20 minutes. Um, there is no quiz. Oh, the other thing I forgot to mention. If at any point in time I involuntarily jolt or make a weird sound, I am fine. <laughs> I have a tiny human kicking vital organs inside of me. So don't worry. It happens all the time during class and my students get a kick out of it. But I should probably warn you. I'm really fine. He might not make a move, so. but So let's start where shame... Uh, came into the picture, right? So let's go back to the garden. Uh, so Genesis, right? You guys have your Bibles? Does anyone bring their Bibles to church anymore? <laughs> One person. <laughs> let's clap for this person. No, I know Audrey's got her Bible. She's got four. <laughs> and yes, yes, perfect. Anyways, so uh, Genesis, right? God creates the world. Genesis 2, he creates Adam and Eve. And uh, he creates them in his image. That's really important. Uh, and then we pick up in, um, you know what, I need to just not do this right here. I need to do this. Okay. And we pick up in Genesis 2.25. Uh, this is the last verse that we read about Adam and Eve before the fall. It says, the man and woman were both naked and they felt no shame. I think that's really interesting. The author, that's the very last thing that they say about Adam and Eve uh, before we read about the fall, that they felt no shame uh, at their nakedness. They had no reason to be ashamed. But we know what happens in Genesis 3. Satan enters into the scene, and he convinces uh, Adam and Eve of two, well, he convinces them of a lot of different things, but two things I just want to mention. One, that if they were to eat of the fruit, they would be like God, and God didn't want him to be like them, or him. And that is a bold-faced lie because he literally just made them in his image. He's not at all insecure in that area. That's what he wanted them to be, right? But Satan's convincing them that um, this is something that, you know, you'll be like him, and, and so there, he's, in that way, he's twisting God's words, saying you're not already in his image. You're not already like him, right? So that's how he's kind of shifting perspective. Uh, Satan likes to do that. And then the other thing that he's convincing them of is that they would surely die, or sorry, they wouldn't surely die. Like, God didn't really mean that if you ate this, you'd actually die, right? What he meant was that you would know good and evil, being like him. But what we, he was doing there is he was twisting God's words, right? Because God was saying you would know good and evil 
and then sin would enter the world and you would be separated from me, which is actually worse than death itself. It's a more serious type of death. So these are the lies that Satan's saying, but it convinces Adam and Eve that they uh, should eat of this fruit because it's a good idea. So then in Genesis uh, 3-7, uh, the moment right after the fall, after they make this decision to directly disobey God, and in that moment they chose God, or they chose this thing over God, right? And in Genesis 3-7 it says, at that moment their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And this is a visual that happens. They are looking up at God before the fall. They have no need to self-satisfy. They have no need to self-preserve. God is meeting every one of their needs. But then they eat of this fruit and they directly disobey God. And what happens is they go from looking up at the source, at their actual source, and immediately they start looking down at themselves in shame, and they start covering themselves up. And there's uh, a, a beautiful, instead of an artist, so I love, I love to use artwork to visualize things. August Rodin, he made this sculpture, Eve, uh, that gives a beautiful visual to this moment. This is a moment immediately after the fall, and, and Eve curves in on herself, and she's got her, her head in her in her arms, she can't look up anymore. She's curved in on herself in shame. Eve is a physical manifesto of remorse, her body twisted in suffering, her face imprisoned within a gesture of anguish. There's a theological term that, that gives good verbiage to this. Uh, discipleship students will know this word. Uh, it's called incurvatus inci, and it's Latin for turned or curved inward on oneself, and it's a theological term coined by Augustine in the first century AD, describing the sinful nature, which is uh, a life lived inward for oneself rather than outward for God and others. And that's what shame does. It convinces you that you are alone, that you are the result of your bad decisions, right? It convinces you to self-satisfy. Shame says you are what you feel. You are the result of your bad decisions. You are your bad decisions. You are what was done to you outside of your control. And whatever that is, you shouldn't speak about it don't let anybody know about it, and you need to cover yourself up. That's what shame is. That's what we see in Genesis. Sorry, there we go. Shame says you are what you feel, right? And your feelings are a sliding scale, right? There's nowhere to live your life off of. But this is the beautiful thing. Just two verses later, just two verses after Genesis 3-7, God comes back into the garden. He says, where are you? Do you think God actually didn't know where they were? You think he didn't know what they just did? 
He was asking that question because he was proving the fact that he still wanted to be with them. Even after what they did. He still had the intrinsic desire, it was in his nature to want to be with them, but he couldn't because they separated him from them. So we know the rest of the story, right? So Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, and um, for, from that point until 76 generations later, <laughs> man, uh, humanity cannot come to God without his intervention, right? But thank God Jesus came onto the scene, right? Again, 76 generations after Adam, and in the same line, Jesus uh, comes onto the scene, whereas before we were not able to connect back to God without his intervention. And we see the solution for incurvatacency in the word incarnation, where God, and God comes in the form of man. He came to step into our fallen nature in order to bend us back towards the Father. And now our bodies are no longer objects of shame. Our lives are no longer bent towards self-gratification. He has reconnected us to the source of self-giving love and the source of our pure identity. And since Christ, at any given moment, we can turn towards God. That's good news, I think, anyway. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what that verse is talking about. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could again be that righteousness of God in him. So if shame says you are what you feel, God says you are who I say that you are. And this, my friends, is what I did not understand for a very long time. I made a lot of bad decisions out of shame because I had convinced myself that I was the result of my bad decisions. Or I was, uh, I was my bad decisions. So I'm gonna share with you my story in a bridged version, right? I was born, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. So I grew up in a Christian home uh, where sex just wasn't really talked about. I love my parents very, very much. They're um, amazing people. We're still very close with them, my husband and I. They're great, godly people. But in their defense, they had no tools for this kind of topic, sexuality. Um, so I think their idea was that, you know, if, I don't, if we don't talk about it with our kids, then they just won't know about it. I don't, I don't know. Something, I don't know, just like completely in denial. But what they did give me was this image of uh, the white wedding dress, right? Uh, here I go. <laughs> the white wedding dress, and they would say, you know, Emily, if you just remain pure into your, until your wedding day, you'll be able to wear white to your wedding. Um, I was never a girly girl. Uh, dresses, I do like dresses, but um, 
I never dreamed about my, my wedding day. I never did, I, I, I really never did. I pretended that I liked Barbies just because I wanted to fit in. I, I was never a girly girl. So when I say that I, I, hang, I hung on to this image when, since I was a young girl, I, it was not at all about what the dress was. It was about what it represented, that it was the ultimate covenant I was making with God. Because I was saved very young, and I loved the Lord as a little girl, and I loved my parents, and I loved my dad, and I had a good relationship with my father, and he was a good example for me of Father God, and I didn't want to disappoint either of them. So when I show this image of the wedding dress here, and if every guy in the room is checking out, uh, that would be the incorrect thing to do. <laughs> Because you are also called to be the bride of Christ, to be the pure and spotless, blameless bride of Christ. So that's what this is actually about. It's not ever wearing a white dress. Um, so don't exclude yourself from the rest of the story. So you are the bride of Christ as well. So I hung on to this image. And my parents did read verses to me like Hebrews 13:4. Uh, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And these are very, these are scriptural, these are true. But scripture can be misinterpreted. And so this was the misconception I kind of grew up with, that my purity was something that God had entrusted me with, and it was up to me to keep it sacred. Therefore, if I had lost it, it was my fault, and there was nothing that could be done to get it back. It was the one thing that God could not redeem. The mistake that I had made is that I had, I had linked my purity to my righteousness. Does that make sense? At a very young age, I had linked my purity to my righteousness, so if I ever made a mistake, if I ever slipped up, I was no longer that bride of Christ anymore. Oops. So like I said, I was saved very young, um, and uh, I, I, always, I always loved the Lord. I, I don't have a specific date when I was saved, you know. But I went off to college, and I was still very close with the Lord. I was praying every day. Um, and I should say, I did, I did date. I started dating when I was like 15. But they were all, you know, good Christian boys, you know. We had the same morals and everything. It was pretty innocent. Uh, but uh, when I was 19, I uh, met a guy. He was very charming. He was very funny. He was very charismatic. And we, were, we became best friends, like best friends. It was just a, like a, a slight problem. He was a recovering drug addict. But it was fine because he was a Christian and he was on the road to recovery and I can't judge him for his past, right? There's a difference between not judging someone by their past and stepping into their past with them. <laughs> right? Uh, there's a difference between <laughs> not judging someone from their past and stepping into their past with them while they're still in it. Um, you cannot save anyone. That took me a couple of years, though, a very long couple of years, 
long, hard lesson to learn. So, I mean, he was a Christian, right? And he was on the path to recovery, but the problem was that his relapses became more and more frequent. But by that time, it didn't really matter because we were already really close. The relationship soul tie was already formed. And at first, he really did respect my wishes to remain pure, but eventually he convinced me that it was something that we both needed. I shouldn't even say he convinced me. He didn't really convince me of anything, to be completely honest. Um, I should also mention that this person was very manipulative. Um, it's just the path that they were on. They were in an addiction, and that's how they got what they wanted out of life, was to be very manipulative. So, And what I forgot to mention is that I was a very naive person. <laughs> Growing up in a Christian home, I was very sheltered, which resulted in me being very naive, no matter how many times my dad told me that men are pigs, right? <laughs> and not all men are pigs, sorry. But that's what my dad would tell me, right? And I'm like, Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so yeah, he, at first he did respect my wishes to remain pure, but eventually he wore me down through his manipulation. So I don't remember a lot about that night. I really think that it just kind of blocked out of my memory, but I do remember that it didn't matter how many times I said no. And I do remember what happened afterward when I was finally alone. And I was laying in my bed at uh, my apartment at college and I uh, just turned in on myself in the fetal position. I was Eve. This is the picture of me in my bed that night. And I cried all night long, sobbing, and I just remember lamenting over my decision, it wasn't really my decision, but in, in that moment it was, and I just, again, I, I had broken that promise that I had made, and I had forever lost my pure identity. And I do remember actually having the image of that white wedding dress just like float away, and it just got really small. I was in despair, I was completely hopeless, There's nothing that I could do to get it back. So for the next several years, I operated under the understanding that I had already lost it, so there was nothing left to lose. And I don't remember a lot about that time, but I, I know that I dated and slept with several people. Um, I, I don't remember a lot, but I just remember that each one, I just really thought that it didn't matter because I had already... I had already lost it, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. And that was a lie because each one brought me into a deeper despair. And this entire time, I should mention, I was serving here at Access. I was on the, the welcome team. I was on the prayer team. All the while, just hoping that nobody checked my phone to see who I had texts from. Nobody knew where I was going after access or before. Nobody knew what I was doing that weekend. And it's a good thing that they didn't because if they did, they would know. They wouldn't want me on the prayer team, right? 
I wouldn't be worthy. That's what was going on in my head. That's not actually how we feel at Access, by the way. But that's what was going on in my head. And I had two personas. I had, I was a good Christian girl serving in church, but then had this other life. And I know I'm not unique in that. And I reached my lowest low when I was with someone that actually did care about me. They did want to be with me. Uh, but I was just using them for sex. I had become the manipulator. The roles had reversed. And I don't know or remember what made me come to terms with myself, but it was at Access uh, during worship, and I was kneeling over there um, during worship and just, uh, again, in Incurvatus NC, I was completely turned in on myself, bawling and, and crying. I wasn't making a scene, but I was uh, just coming to terms with who I had become and I remember looking down at myself and actually seeing like rags and, and torn up. I mean, I wasn't actually wearing that. I'm a very visual person and that's what I saw myself wearing was this robe that was just like all torn up. But then over here was the, was the pure dress that I was supposed to be wearing. And I, I remember envisioning myself wearing it, but that's what kept me in despair and hopelessness because I knew I could never be that. And this was the reality. And I just remember feeling completely unworthy and I just remember crying out to God, just give me another chance. And it was at that moment that someone came over, I had never met them before. I had no idea who they were, they had no idea who I was. Uh, but they knelt down in front of me, and they just said, I'm really sorry, I, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I just really felt like God wanted me to tell you that he sees you in a white wedding dress. And then they just got up and walked away. And it was unbelievable. And... What God wasn't saying in that moment was, you know what? If you just change your clothes, you'll be fine. He was saying that you were wearing that identity the entire time. You were always in that purity. You were always in that dress. You were always in that righteousness. But I had just forgotten. I was always blameless and pure in his sight, and he convicted me of my righteousness. And literally in that moment, I was bent in on myself, and he unbent me towards him. Causing me to look up at him in radiant beauty and full of acceptance in his love. And he shifted my perspective from self-preservation to acceptance in him. And I started on a journey of walking in my true identity finding my needs in God, learning how I was designed as a woman, as a daughter, and a bride of Christ. And I literally walked away from that life once and for all. And it was really beautiful. And I remember in that moment when that person came to me, I remember feeling God say, 
that that moment wasn't just for me, that I was supposed to share that. So wherever you are right now, and whatever state you find yourself in, whatever thing you might be struggling with, maybe you don't struggle with sexual sin at all, maybe it's something else. I just wanna remind you that you are the bride of Christ. That what you do, or what was done to you, does not change who you are. That was my misconception. I thought that I was, I was this filthy person because of the decisions that I had made. So I had to put up with two personas. And it was at that moment that God merged those two people. So yeah, ever since then I have lived a happily ever after life. Um, I had, I started on a journey of like learning who I was and my true identity in God. He uh, caused me to come back to him and it was shortly after that that I met Nick and um, it seemed like God called me back to himself just in time. So we can think that we need to clean ourselves up or cover ourselves with fig leaves in order to be worthy of his righteousness, but he meets us right where we are. So here's my question. Will you let him unbend you? Is there something that you're bent towards? Do you believe that you are the culmination of your decisions and everything that has been done to you? Is there something that causes you to live in shame? Will you invite him in that? and let him bend you back towards himself. So yeah. I was debating on if I wanna say that, but. So yeah, let's just end with prayer. Does that sound good? Yeah. Well, God, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for your redemptive love. Thank you for stepping into our fallen nature and curving us back towards you. Thank you for clothing us in your righteousness that we may walk in freedom in our true identity in you. God, I just pray over our community groups tonight that you... Uh, cause us to be vulnerable and open ourselves up and, uh, and have real conversations. Thank you for creating a safe space here at Access. And thank you for this time, Lord God. I just, uh, yeah, just thank you for everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen.